Good afternoon and welcome to the latest edition of Viking Voices. Today we have a special guest, head men's basketball coach Tony Dominguez is joining us. Tony, thank you for joining the podcast. We're excited to have you and excited to talk about Western Hoops. Yeah, thanks for having me. This will be fun. Well, you're following Butch Kamina. He went last week. So um, as they say, those are those are some big shoes to fill in Whatcom County, right? The mayor of Whatcom County. But uh, he's a doctor. Uh, yeah. He, he talked about his noon ball skills. So just so you know, I'm going to ask you a little bit of, uh, later on about noon ball and uh, and what you know, what your what your scouting report on him is and what your scouting report on yourself is. But uh, yeah. first, I want to just have you introduce yourself. Talk about how you got here to Western. You were a student at Western, but talk about your involvement uh, in the Western program that yeah. doesn't even start to begin with your nine years as head coach. Um, well, yeah. Tell so your, tell us about how you came about uh, being uh, being Western basketball. Well, it's crazy. Um, you know, uh, it's a faith based journey for me. I um, as a young ch- as a fifteen year old, I got very very ill. Came down with a heart condition fought hard to come back, went to several camps, um, had potential opportunity to be at Washington State, and that all went awry in a hurry with uh, Hank Gathers passing and different things going. And so um, as a UW faithful, born at the University of Washington Hospital, was going to go there no matter what, even if, you know, whatever, um, the heart kind of pushed me up to Bellingham because I thought we were NEI at the time. I didn't know anything about it, didn't know Brad Jackson, didn't know anything. Um, wanted to get away from home but be close. Um, and so just showed up in, in Bellingham. And uh, the year that I was here, um, Coach Jackson, my first year, Coach Jackson had a player pass of a heart condition himself um, in Duke Wamborn. And that was a tough time. Brad's still tight with the family and, and, uh, but for me, that was another kind of a wake up reminder that I'm not going to be able to go hide somewhere with my heart problem and try to play basketball. Um, so I, uh, sent out, um, roughly cause at the time, you know, there was not even a dial up internet. I'm not that old, but in the <laughs> technology I am. So I sent out literally 3,500 email or letters to 3,500 colleges, and I got three responses, Chico State, PLU, and Western Brad. Um, and so I, that was funny, and I had met with Brad for a long time, and uh, actually when I had graduated, and I was a year, I coached at Nooksack Valley High School, um, Brad let me volunteer for a couple years, and it, I think I proved my worth. I actually, as a volunteer, I was here 10, 12 hours a day in the office with him, um, and kind of proved myself. And when other people had moved on, he gave me a shot and the rest is history. So it's been over 25 years that you've been associated with Western basketball. Like I said, you're in your ninth year as the head coach. Mm-hmm. Seem like time kind of flies by, but at the same time, it doesn't. Cause it, within those 25 years, there's thousands of games and thousands of practices and memories and, um, what you ever take a trip down memory lane thinking about how great it's been you know I do but you I think this year with the COVID has kind of pushed you into memory lane a little bit because when you're in the grind you know shoot I'm talking to former players and it's like I'm talking to them like they played two or three years ago you know we're still trying we're, we're almost done helping Mo Anderson graduate and Mo's thinking 34 years old 
And I'm like, yeah, you know, I was talking to him. I'm like, you know, it's been like four or five years. So we got to get you graduated. And he's like, coach, I've been gone 12 years or whatever. It's been. Um, so time has flown. Um, you know, I owe everything to, to coach Jackson and his mentorship and has, that's been amazing. I think about Linda Goodrich and, you know, what she was for Brad and I, and, um, um, just everyone that's in the athletic department right now, you know, Steve Card and I were very, very chummy when we were both assistants and we still are, but it's just, you think about those days and, um, Steve Brummel when he was young and, you know, I have a coach on my staff, Bob Hofstetter, that was a marketer in the department when I started. Um, so yeah, time is, has flown by. And I think it's part of all of our lives, right. And I'm raising kids and, um, I just can't believe that my daughter is a senior at Western and other ones at Grand Canyon University and I got a 15 year old son. It's like, what just happened? And you I know, got gray uh, hair because of the job. <laughs> you know, you, it, in those years that you've been associated with the program, there's been so much success. It'd be hard for us to even list all the accomplishments, but um, Elite Eights, GNAC Championships, National Title, how much pride do you take in what all of these student athletes that you've been associated with over those years, whether it be as a volunteer, as an assistant, as the lead recruiting coordinator, as the head coach, how much pride goes into seeing what has been accomplished both on the court. And like you just said, you know, student athletes that are even coming back now to graduate and off the court. Yeah. It's been an incredible journey. I, I keep saying that. Um, I think, what stands out to me as I learned, um, and I think you, you might've mentioned, you're going to ask me about North Carolina, but I, I look at different, why am I coaching? And every year you reevaluate it because division two is a very hard level. Um, it's, it, we have great um, visibility in our area and in the region because of our success. Um, but it's not super visible. We make solid, good money, not no complaints, but it's not division one money. Um, it's hard to, and when you're gone all the time and the, the level of commitment that you have, you think about all the, the challenges. And so I tried to pinpoint, you know, why am I doing this? And coach Jackson, uh, kind of steered me and I'm not, you know, I, I, I think he's amazing. The reason why we coach, I, I get, you know, I, I agreed with that, his philosophy and North Carolina, the same reason it's about the kids. It's about the experience. It's about helping people. And so we talk about all those championships and what's great about that is that's allowed us to continue to coach because winning is, you know, you know, the success of, you know, the, the notoriety of winning um, makes people feel good about what you're doing. So that's been great, but it's really seeing these guys graduate, you know, and seeing these guys be successful and getting out in the community and helping those kids, um, you know, as an assistant, with the NCAA rules, I was able to work with kids up until their ninth grade. So there's so many kids in the camp world and the kids that I've been a part of. And so you think about all those championships, but I just see people and their successes. And because I had an incredible heartbreak with not being able to play college basketball, I hate to be corny and say it warms my heart, but it's, it's very fulfilling to see other people get excited about having them dreams realize, you know, getting excited about getting a full scholarship because I had to pay for college. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, those are the things I remember. I mean, I think we can go down the, the obvious of winning the national championship and what's crazy about all that stuff. If you want to get you know technical 
is winning has is everything has to fall just right. Guys can't get injured. Um, the officials need to be good on that particular night. Your players need to be hitting on all cylinders. And for us to win, they were extremely talented. I even think I've had a couple of teams in my tenure as a head coach that were more talented physically, but just it, not everything clicked, you know, correctly. And so you think about just how that's the experience that I've gotten is that when someone says, Oh, you know, winning the nationals must've been incredible. And it's like, yeah, I'm really glad we didn't play West Liberty in the final four because West Liberty was a killer. Right. And I'm going that when I'm doing the scout and I'm going, I mean, I think we could have beaten them, but that would have been a whole lot harder challenge than um, I think it was, um, was it Bluefield or I forget exactly who was in the final four of the year we won it, but it was like, I remember when they had beaten West Liberty, it was like, Oh, thank God. Um, but those are the memories that you, you know, the, but it's the kids. And I know that everyone that's kind of cliche, but it's not for me because it's, it's Shelton Diggs calling me the night of our final four, my first year as a head coach to ask me that, do I think he should take Cal Poly high school head coaching job um, at three in the morning because of the time difference and stuff he didn't realize and forgot. Those are the things that get me excited about coaching more than just winning, but the winning is exciting. And you see me cry when we win because and I don't cry ever, except when we win, because it's like, how did that happen? Like, how did Leif just hit that three? He could have very easily missed the three and everyone be like, why did you have him shoot that shot? Or why did you, you know, you're always questioned. So anyway. Well, let, let, let me ask you about that. I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the national championship season and then that late season run. But, you know, last year, 2019-20 was, uh, was quite a year for different reasons. Your team battled through all kinds of adversity with injuries and, um, you know, schedule and just different things. And you guys got, were hot, had a little lull, and then you got hot again and you hit that GNAC tournament. And, uh, you know, the final was just so indicative. You had a Bellingham kid hit a big shot from the corner. You know, you had a senior in Trevor Jasinski that had an amazing semifinal game. You had Logan Schilder, another Bellingham native, you know, really play well on the tournament. Run us through the GNAC championship, uh, tournament title last year and how that came about well there's just the last couple of years have been emotional we've had some changes on our roster that were tough for me emotionally because I really love all of our kids and and then we had with that we had quite a bit of injury we were just coming back from playing at Wacom and the effects that we learned from that was that it wasn't the two years that you were at Wacom where you missed your crowd. It was the two years after because you had a whole bunch of freshmen and sophomore that hadn't come to games. So they didn't know that's what you did. And so your crowds were, you know, we finally were getting back to our crowds of old. Um, we had kind of gotten on a, a good start to start a season. And then we had a bunch of injuries again for the second year in a row and so as we got hot and I think we were first or second in the league and then we hit a, a tough stretch um, I think that what we've done in in our program and what I've really tried to hammer on is the mental side of the game um, and so we're able to counter some of those goals because we're not getting too high or too low in our successes or our failures and I think you're able to climb out of those those situations when you do that I think kids Mentally, even though we had a couple of really rough weeks um, after a couple of great weeks, um, I think our kids were able to be resilient going into the championship because they knew that we had the talent. We knew we could do what we wanted to do. Uh, it was great that we got the bye. 
um, our league is extremely talented and excuse me. And um, so, yeah, so the, the way to have the, to have the storyline, you know, Logan Shielder redshirted and then to have him come back um, and Trevor Jasinski sticking around when he had division ones knocking on his door. That's kind of the new trend in college basketball now is a good division two kid will go division one. Um, to have the local kid in life not get highly recruited and to be quote unquote a walk on, although we, we scholarshiped him in his last two years, we registered him a year. Um, for him to be able to hit that big shot, I've known Leif a long time. You don't have a more committed team guy than Leif Anderson. And if I played him five minutes or 20 minutes, he was the same kid. That's unique in, in sports these days to play your role to that level and then to be rewarded with being able to hit that shot at the end. Um, but yeah, a lot of storylines. Um, again, for me, the reason that I get emotional again about winning is to see the joy in our kids' face because we are in a culture with social media and things where winning validates, right? So it was, it felt good because the pride in me comes out where, okay, now maybe they'll believe that guarding the three and rebounding is important. <laughs> where if you lose that game, now it's like, you know, uh, what does coach know or whatever? It's just, it's natural. It's any sport, any level. So. Um, you talked about the mental aspect there. I know last year, and you've done this the last couple of years, you've had guest speakers come in before the season and you've had mm -hmm. Luke Ridenour, Whatcom County legend up in Blaine, talk to the team. You've had Jake Locker, who's a baseball and uh, football star and played in the NFL out of Ferndale. You've had a number of these guest speakers come in and share their experiences and kind of talk to the team. Is that part of it of, getting that mental edge and getting them to believe in some of those stuff. Is that, is that part of the commitment that you've made as a program? Yeah. You're just showing other people and their successes and how they got there. And I think as I've been doing the coaching basketball class, we turned into a leadership class <laughs> as I've really dove into leadership really hard the last five years in particular, you learn that it's good for others to see how others do it. It's good to see them, you know, how and how they do. And, and it's nice that they were big in their their sport. I mean, Jake Locker doesn't get any bigger than that in this area for being an almost, you know, major NFL quarterback. And then Luke Ridenour having the career that, I mean, he's was amazing and incredible. So those are great. And then I bring in Grant Dykstra and, you know, his story, his amazing story and, and his success and what a tremendous person he is um, and how he overcame, you know, physical tragedy to become an All-American and, and you know, to be great. And, and then I brought in a Brian Roper from Winnin High School and who is somewhat of a quiet name, you know, on a national, even, you know, collegiate level, but in the high school world, he's won a lot of state championships and, and he's been good. And I think it's been, it's good to have our kids see lots of different folks from different backgrounds um, because it's, that's important because then, then they'll pick something from one of those guys that'll push them to the next level. Um, so, yeah, I think the mental side of it is everything because everyone's recruiting, everyone's got great players. And I think what really has separated our program is that I do think the mental edge is, is there for us. Outstanding. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about a, a photo that we posted on social media the other day. Uh, I actually got it uh, texted to me by Trevor over in the Netherlands, but it was a photo of Trey Drexel, Trevor Jasinski, Dalton Hamas, DeAndre Dixon and Logan Schilder all kind of on the bench hamming it up uh, photo that Jeff Jasinski took. And, uh, and Trevor goes, Oh, you got to post this because DeAndre just, uh, he moved teams, but he signed with a team in Montenegro. So all five of those players, 
2017, 18, I believe, starting five are playing overseas professionally in Europe. How, you know, that, that's a trend that goes a long ways back to Mike Palm and, um, you know, Paul Jones and all these players that have played overseas, but you have this influx of talent from the last five years that are really successful professionally. How, how awesome is that? Well, again, it's, it's rewarding because that's their goal. When I'm recruiting them, that's what they want to accomplish. And so I feel like I've been able, or we as a program, we have been able to um, help these kids realize their dreams. And, you know, for those out there, your dreams, no matter what you think, your dreams will change every four or five years. So that's their dream right now. And they were able to realize it. And it's going to give them an experience that they'll never forget. Um, it'll give them a sense of accomplishment and hopefully it'll give them an idea of, okay, I've got a bigger dream. What's the next dream that I'm going and I can accomplish it because I think, you know, you can do whatever you want in life. I know this is going to be like, Oh, okay, here we go. It's a big motivational talk, but it makes me excited because I don't feel like I led them down a road that was untrue. You know, it was like, I told you that if you came here that you'd have opportunity to be put in that position and, um, and it, it's kind of fun to see all of them. They're all really talented. They're all great human beings. Um, I'm so excited for every one of them. Um, you know, whether they, you know, wherever I fall in their journey in their minds, it, I don't really care because it's fun to see them be successful. Yeah. And this goes back, you know, Taylor Stafford played a couple of years over in Europe and uh, now is pursuing, you know, an edu education here in Bellingham, I believe, and goes all the way back to, you know, players all through the history of the program have had these opportunities. So it's, it's really cool to see. It's really cool to see the five of them in one photo and think, wow. Well, it's too bad you couldn't have one more, you know, Sion is, is overseas. And, and he, he was probably know. on the side somewhere doing a Sion <laughs> thing, right? Probably yelling at me, but um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. I think that it's uh, yeah. It's tremendous to see these guys be successful and, and I'm so excited for them and, and their journey. So. I did want to touch just a little bit, you know, we're approaching almost 10 years, which will be, I think, next year of the national championship season. Mm -hmm. Just run us through the, the, the Cliff Notes version of what kind of run this team went on to get there and how you mentioned earlier how they just kind of clicked. Well, when I talk about this, I, I make sure that it's every team I, I truly and I tweeted this out earlier because of all the social unrest in the world right now. I truly coach because I love people and I love kids of all areas and backgrounds. And um, so as I say all this lovey-dovey stuff, I can say, you know, those guys were crazy. Um, mentally, it was all over the board as far as the, they were tremendously gifted. Um, there's a lot of ego involved, but that's every season. That's every team and every part of the country. Um, there was so, it's so hard to get guys to play their roles. Um, and, you know, coach Jackson had, I believe his father had passed away in, in the early fall and that was hard. Um, so much emotion involved just as the start of our season had come because Earl was such a part of, obviously Brad, but our program. And, and um, so there were so many different highs and lows. Um, <laughs> you know, you go down to the conference tournament and I'm on the road recruiting. So the team bus shows up and they get off and they're like, what's up coach. And John Allen shows up with this crazy Mohawk. Um, and <laughs> we're, we're, you know, number one in the, the deal and you're playing the sixth seed or wherever, whoever it was, Montana state billings. And 
just the confidence that we had at that point, but the kind of the arrogance that we didn't really have to, you know, we can just do whatever we wanted to and getting beat by those guys, um, seeing them rally as we came home and got to still host, which they had earned that right. Cause of the way they played the whole season. Um, and to see them kind of pull it together, to see them get in their suits instead of their wrinkled old polos, um, kind of change their mindset, um, you know, and to win the way they did and then to get to the elite eight um, and to just, you know, we started the first game. I think we were down 16 to two to a great Midwestern state team. And uh, you know, they could have easily tanked it. And then, yeah, to come out ahead at the end, it was uh, surreal. Um, and it started because we always tell our guys they have a chance at winning the national championship. And a couple of years before that Pomona had beaten us on our floor in the regional tournament in double overtime at the buzzer. And they had gone on to win the national championship and didn't have a game closer than 10 points. And it was like, I told, we, you know, Brad and I were saying, we told you fellas that, um, you know, that's a feasible, re reachable dream. And so I think that that just showed them, yeah, why can't we win it? And so it was, it was really cool to see it, it happen. And, um, but as many coaches have told me since then, you know, winning a national championship is a great, 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 un, unbelievable, almost unheard of, goal, you know, goal. It's also a curse. And uh, because the expectations just get to be crazy. But um, what a tremendous year. Yeah, it's, it's fun to look back at those photos. And, um, you know, we're going to be able to post pretty soon here a, a replay of the game and just relive some of those memories. But it's, it's really, really a great accomplishment for the program. And, and, you know, you took over as the head coach right after that. Uh, Brad went on to, to get an assistant role at UW. And you guys immediately just tore up that 2013 season. Went to the mm -hmm. Elite Eight again, Final Four again. Um, what was that? That must have been like a blur from winning the national championship to, to being selected as a, the natural fit to be the head coach. And then all of a sudden, you're right back there in the Elite Eight and Final Four. Um, you ever look back on that and say, wow, that was that was pretty crazy. I think you guys had a 30-game win streak in there. And... Well, yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to be careful because I want everyone to, you know, to, to love our talk here, but I, I'm a spiritual guy. I mean, I, I just watched God work on that thing. Um, to be honest, we had won it and I'd had a, a lot of opportunities with division one assistance jobs um, that I turned down for family reasons and just, you know, just family reasons. And so it was kind of time to want to be a head coach. And after we had won it, I applied to a lot of jobs and was getting no responses, which was, the most odd thing and the years that I get offered jobs were when we were 500 and the years where we win, it was like crickets. So I was really kind of just discouraged. I didn't want to be an assistant my entire life. I love Brad. It had nothing to do with Brad and it had nothing to do with Western. It was just, I didn't want to be a 25 year assistant coach. And so, you know, I'm sure you remember the story of being in New York and I actually told my wife, this will be it. I'm going to do one more year and I'm just going to move on because we had a lot of guys coming back. Two hours later, Brad had called me and said, I'm out going to the UW. You know, I think you're going to be the interim coach. Call, call Linda. And then Linda called me and I'm in the middle of Times Square. offers me the job interim wise. That was a lot of emotion, to be honest with you, because as a 17 year assistant who just won the national coach, you can't just name me the head coach. And she couldn't. It wasn't in her. You know, it was and especially with us winning. Um, there was a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure put on her 
you know, hey, let's go get a big name. Um, so I really appreciate her, you know, and uh, Bruce taking a chance on me and us, you know, so there's emotion there. There's a, there was a lot of seniors that are left, but we had a lot of dudes back and there's a lot of pressure on them. So for them, and we're getting everyone's best shot. We started, we did play Multnomah at home, but then we go to Hawaii as the beginning of our season. And if you know anything about playing D2 basketball in Hawaii, there's a lot of challenges there. Um, so for us to do well, and then it just kind of just kept snowballing and the pressure just kept mounting. And I had the same, you know, Hey, you know, this is my approach to the season was, you know, if God wants me to be the coach, it'll work out. And uh, if not, I just, and I can't be stressed or anxious about it. And it just kept getting better and better and better. And, you know, we had our moment in Fairbanks, um, which was very, it was actually a really good thing, but very aggravating because that was a team where I felt like we should have beaten pretty easily and they, they, they handled us and we had some emotion in that game. And then we turned around and went to the final four. And the, the only sad thing for me is, you know, getting to the final four is, is another close to impossible feat. And after the game, I felt like such a failure because we didn't win at all because of the year before. He was like, why didn't this, you know, we should have won at all. We did last year. Um, and looking back, I mean, that's such an incredible dream season to look at as a failure at the time. And then I didn't mention, you know, my start of my career was going against Brad at the UW and then playing Duke, which I'm a huge Carolina guy. So right. um, it, it, it's been a pretty, I've been pretty blessed and pretty thankful. Um, you mentioned it earlier. You draw a lot of your, I think your coaching instruction uh, goes back to some North Carolina men's basketball camps that you've worked. Um, pretty neat thing when you, when you told me first of all, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Talk about how you got involved with helping at those camps and some of the relationships you built helping out at the UNC camps. And, uh, and, you know, I know you guys had a practice uh, in Chapel Hill when you guys went down and played Duke um, at their place as well. So, Tell us a little bit about that involvement and, and how cool that has been. Yeah, Carolina is amazing. Um, so as I almost pass, I kind of made a deal as I did a lot of praying with God. And I just said, if I get to live, I'm going to live every day to my fullest. So as I say that, I, and people are like, okay, here we go. More God stuff. Well, that's about, that's who I am. But anyway, so I don't mean to offend anybody, but I would say this because of that, that's when I decided to send out those letters, but I had also sent a letter because I'm a huge Jordan guy. Um, they actually had a guy as a point guard named Jeff Lebo, who was my height, looked like me, played like me, and he was starting for North Carolina. So I thought, if he can do it, I can do it. Um, so I was a huge North Carolina guy. Um, and as I had said, hey, I got to live up to my deal. So I, I emailed Coach Smith, Dean Smith, and just said, hey, I want to work your camp. I want to coach there. I want to be you know, a Carolina Tar Heel and I can't do it playing wise. So let me do it as a camp coach. And I don't know if you know anything about the camp world, but it's really hard to get into Duke Carolina camps, almost close to impossible. So the assistant coach Guthridge sent me back a response and said, all right, kid, we'll give you a shot. We're only going to pay you a hundred bucks. That's all we pay you. So I, I went into debt going to camp every year. We were a poor, you know, I'm volunteering at Western and taking a thousand dollars out of the family budget that we don't have to go down and work a camp. Um, but the people I met, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm rebounding for Michael Jordan in between. So he had played won three championships, took the year off and went and did baseball and was coming back. And I was going to play in the camp counselor game, decided not to that year it was the year Jordan came back. 
and played in that game. It was the first time he played five on five since he retired. And then a month later, he goes back to the league and wins three more. But to be able to to be there for that, to you know play and play pickup with Rasheed Wallace and Stackhouse and you know, Vince Carter and um, and then just to have the coaches, the Carolina coaches. So I'm on the road recruiting in Vegas. And they see me and they're like, Dominguez, come and sit with us. Come and sit with us. And having Coach K and all everyone kind of look at who the heck is this guy sitting with these guys? Um, that was incredible. And that's where I had kind of realized their their loyalty and their normalcy that they live. They live their life with a lot of normalcy that wasn't, you know, hey, we're North Carolina. Hey, we're big time. I mean, they just were people that cared about people. And that's why I gravitate that way. Um, and so, yeah, so Carolina has been incredible. Um, and then it just solidified when we went and played Duke, um, that Duke had given us an hour and a half practice time and only honored 55 minutes of that because our guys wanted to take pictures and they were obviously spying on our practice because they kicked us out because we were done practicing. Meanwhile, I go over to Carolina and I work their camp and they, and we're practicing in the Smith center two or three times in the main facility in their, in their gym, they give us a tour. They give us tickets to their game that they played the night before. They're telling them how great of a guy I am, even though they barely know me. And so my players are like, Oh, coach D he's great. So anyway, so yeah, you, you can tell the love I have for, for Carolina blue. So yeah. Needless to say the, the lighter shade of blue wins over the Royal blue and the, in the Duke uh, rivalry when you, uh, well, if you look at the sky, yeah, if you look at the sky, Jeff, it, the sky is usually Carolina blue. And so if God wasn't a Tar Heel, then I don't know. <laughs> I love it. The only and the last thing I'd say on that is we only hate two things in our household, and that's Duke and the Devil. Ironic that their mascot is the Blue Devils. But anyway, go ahead. Well, anyway, they're both programs are great, so we don't want you know we don't want to. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just I know. Um, I did want to ask you about this, and kind of moving on to a little bit of a somber note. But um, you know, Coach Cliff Kingsbury passed away a little over a month ago. And for those that are associated with you and the program, you know, they know Kings because they see him at every practice and they see him at games and they see him talking mm -hmm. to you and they talk to the team, mm -hmm. a legend in the Northwest Edmonds community college hall of famer, but so much more the impact he had on basketball in this region. How much of an impact did he have on you as a, as a mentor and, um, and just what he, what he meant to you as a whole? Well, I've always been trying to gravitate towards, you know, those that have been there, done that. Um, and, you know, Brad would probably be at more practices and games if he didn't feel like his, the ghost of Brad Jackson would be haunting me here. Um, and I kind of told him that's silly. So he needs to come to more practices. Um, Coach Kingsbury had retired. He had a house out in Sandy Point. He wanted to stay involved. Um, I, I love his input. He's, you know, he was, he was really crass and would just say it like it is, which I kind of like and not necessarily from my assistants, no, but um, just kidding. Um, I kind of liked how he would just get on the phone with me after every game or practices and just kind of say, what were you doing? Or great job. Or he'd just be brutally honest. And, you know, there was praise when there needed to be praise. And there wasn't when there was, you know, I, I remember when we were going through our streak, he'd be like, why are you calling me? You have all the answers. And it was like, you know, and I kind of know now that winning isn't always the coach having all the answers, but um, yeah. And so he's, you know, his just, he was a really crass guy, but to see how the kids that he had coached loved and adored him and people around him. And there was those that didn't like him and he kind of ruffled some feathers and I get that. 
Um, and I think I do, a, I think one of my strengths is just seeing people for who they are and not really, and may not come across that way because I mentioned some of my godliness stuff and they may think that I'm judging, but to be honest with you, I just, I try to pick out their, their positives and their strengths and coach Kings love kids and he loved mentoring. And, um, so he'll be missed because I, I, it wasn't that he was calling me and giving me some great advice. It was just being there for you. Right. And I think you'd probably say the same about your mentors. It isn't that they necessarily have the magical answers to everything. Um, and so obviously I'll lean on Brad a little bit more on some others, but, um, cause we all need to have that emotional, you know, and it goes without saying my wife and my family, but, um, as far as coaches go, coach Kingsbury was, was definitely in, in that group for me. And, and I, it'll be sad. He lived a really good life. So, you know, I mean, it's not like he passed when he was super young, but his passing is definitely going to affect me um, more than, than I like to admit or will admit publicly, but um, he was a tremendous person. Definitely was. I always enjoyed conversation with him and grab a box score and look at it and say, that was awful. Or that was awesome. <laughs> um, exactly. You mentioned coach Jackson a couple times during this, and we, we do have to, you know, talk about him and your relationship with him. He's, you know, I've just known him for five years and I love talking to them, love talking basketball with him. Uh, never worked with him, which, um, but talk about that unique relationship you guys have that's over 25 years that you guys were together. Um, you know, he went to the University of Washington to be an assistant coach. He's back in Bellingham now, but just talk about that relationship that you guys have going back and, and how much he means to you. Yeah, you know, it's very unique because in some regard, he's like a second dad. And in some regard, he's like your best friend. Um, we have a lot of similar life uh, views and thinkings and um, ways of life. Like he's a night owl. So he could call me at 11 o'clock at night and I'm up and <laughs> he'd be like, all right, let's talk about this. Or let's, you know, and he, you know, I'm sure with you, I know there's a lot of people I know their phones are turned off at 830. Don't call me. Um, so that's unique. We still do that, to be honest with you. Um, you know, he is a tremendous loving and was a really great coach for kids. Um, you know, when you're an assistant and you're in it and you, cause you kind of learn that kids don't like authority, right? It's like kids are like, oh, my parents, when they're growing up and they're teenagers, oh, my parents, they drive me crazy. And then obviously it's their parents and they love them. Um, and as an assistant, you always hear guys bitching and moaning about the head coach, which I know they're doing about me. It's just what you do with authority. Um, but I just admired, um, how he stuck to his values. I admired um, how much he cared about kids and still does. And um, yeah, I mean, and as far as I go, I just, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at without Brad. So um, I have nothing but love and respect and admiration. And um, yeah, and I wish that he would feel more comfortable coming by. It's not that he doesn't, I mean, he loves Western stuff. He just has it in his mind that you know, he doesn't want the kids to think that I'm leaning on him because of what we did in the past. And I'm kind of past that, you know, I, I, I maybe the first year I get that, but so hopefully he'll come around more. Um, but yeah, he's a tremendous human being. And, and um, I think is one of the best coaches in the country. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing more of Brad. We got to get him to get him to, to loosen his idea on being part of the Western athletics hall of fame, because I know if there's anyone that needs it deserves to be in there, it's Brad Jackson. So hopefully. Oh, soon yeah. And he's kind of being silly. You guys, and he'll hear, uh, maybe he won't listen to this, but hopefully you're listening to this, Brad, you're being silly. It's time to get inducted. 
anyway. Well, you've been, like I said, you've been a part of so many games in Western. I got to ask you, and I know this is going to be tough to put you on the spot. And I'm going to ask you if you have any favorite games that you remember that might not be obvious. Of course, you're going to say the, the win over Montevallo in the national championship or, you know, wins over Seattle Pacific, but there's some games that stick out to you um, that are just some of the most memorable games uh, as, as a coach with at Western. The first year I'm at Western, we're at central packed, crazy house. Kids are swearing and throwing things. It's water bottle night. We both know that it's central. It's not water that's in those bottles. Um, we end up, Ryan Garris takes a charge at the end of the game where the, and the kid makes the shot, the crowd goes crazy and the ref starts running from underneath the baseline and takes the basket away and gives us the win. And we go running into the locker room pelted by the water slash bottles. Um, that was fun. Richard Woodworth's game winning, you know, half court where it, it wasn't a heave. He shot it like a jump shot. Um, that was, that was incredible. So you have those, the sad moments is the central game. I guess these are all central games, but you have the central game where, um, Simon Dubio, great player. That was C home kid. We didn't recruit him. He goes to central. He's ticked about it. So he hits the game winning three and does some antics at half court. That was interesting. Um, you know, um, shoot, there's so many, yeah. As you had mentioned, there's so many different moments. I mean, you have, Dane Looker, who has become an NFL wide receiver, going over to Hawaii and getting um, sunburn and then threatening the Samoans in a game and have them chase him into the locker room and Brad say, hey, Dominguez, go protect him. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because at the time I was really skinny. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, you'd probably bring up some games and trigger those moments. I mean, last year was, was great. Uh, Taylor Stafford. Jeffrey Parker's years, you know, and, and, and the moments there, you know, his mom had passed and his dad had asked me to break the news to him and then have him come back and have the season that he had. I guess it's not a game. That's a season. Um, you know, Darnell Taylor down in Vegas in the back gyms in Las Vegas playing against Washburn. And that year we went to the final four played Washburn in the final four without him because of an eligibility thing, but he hit a shot to win the game that kind of propelled us to get on that role to get to the final four. Um, I mean, I'm going to miss so many guys that it's unfair, you know, the Mo Anderson games and Derek Webb getting nine threes in, in Anchorage, maybe 10 threes. And he reminds me of that all the time. So there's a lot of games, Jeff. Yeah. I know we've been talking for a while, so I know you have other questions, but yeah. No, there are definitely some great, great moments there. And, uh, you know, I did, did want to ask you uh, as a mentor and as a coach, and, you know, sometimes you have to, to put faith in these kids and you have to, I don't want to call <laughs> them projects, but you recruit a lot of kids and uh, instill confidence in them. And there are some stories of some recent student athletes that you just love hearing about. For me, you know, in my tenure, it's the Jeffrey Parkers, but it's seeing what Taylor Stafford did coming from Evansville or DeAndre Dixon coming up here from uh, Bakersfield College. Are, are there some stories that, that you just sit back and you just bring a smile to your face about what, what these young men have become while they're part of your program? Well, we are putting, as coaches and college coaches, you're putting your livelihood in the hands of young kids. And if you think about that and you remember when you were that age or if you're a parent of kids that age, you're thinking, how can you rely on that person to feed your family? 
Um, so I have a tremendous amount of faith in our guys. There's really no favorites. I think I'm a relationship guy. And so I love literally all of them, even the ones that walk out of here and can't stand me or guys that think I'm this or that. I still have strong admiration for them, adoration. Um, as far as stories, it's always the guys that are graduating. It's always, I tend to, I think that it happens for a reason. I do it unconsciously, subconsciously. Is that the better way to say it? I recruit kids that tend to have a little bit of a, um, not rough as far as bad, but like maybe dysfunctional or weird backgrounds. Um, and we have a mix of a lot of different kids, but um, you know, Taylor was kind of hurt and broken by the college basketball scene and to see him come here. He wasn't, didn't have great, he did great as junior college, but he didn't do great at Evansville and to see him come here and graduate with over a three point and to see him, you know, he's chosen, he's an NBA level player that his dreams changed as I had kind of mentioned. And he didn't want the grind of trying to make the NBA uh, because it's quite a grind. And so he's changed his direction, but seeing him and, and where he's at, as far as his mental, you know, reference point is a great story. Um, a lot of the guys that are graduating, I, Mo Anderson is a class away from graduating. Um, and it's because he, he had to leave and raise a family. He had a child and he couldn't stick around college and to see him stick it out for 10 years, you know, class by class. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stories. Uh, John Allen, again, was kind of broken after leaving Washington State and to see him be one of the best guards we've ever had here, if not the best guard, you know, him and Richard are fighting for that because of what they accomplished, you know, and how talented they were. Gosh, I know I'm missing. There's so many people that I wish because they'll because they'll get me just like when I got the job and didn't hire a bunch of guys that somebody will text me and say, you didn't talk about me. But um, there's so many cool stories. Um, yeah, I mean, Shelton Biggs is a great success story and he's the head coach at you know, Long Beach Poly. I might have said Cal Poly before, but it's Long Beach Poly. Anyway. So, yeah, a lot of good stories there. And uh, heck, what is that? we'll have to do episode two sometime in this and and go over some of those other names. Totally. But, uh, you know, you've mentioned the word uh, family quite a bit in this interview, um, both mm -hmm. with the basketball family and your own family. And you have raised an amazing family here in Bellingham with your wife. Um, you know, Christy is a, as a, a leader in the Bellingham Public Schools. Um, and, the, you know, you guys have raised three awesome kids in this community. How important has that been to, to raise this family in Bellingham? And, and how much do you guys love it? Well, first off, Christy's much, much older than I am. Um, she just turned 50 a couple of days ago, it's much older. So she might've raised me. No, um, you know, it's a group effort and um, family is extremely important. I kind of mentioned to somebody when Kingsbury had passed, I wonder if he remembered all the championships when he was passing or if he remembered people and his family. Um, and so for me, I put value in people and I, I try my best to do, to do the best I can for them. I know I fall short quite a bit but I try my best. Um, you know, my kids and my wife mean everything and my family, my sister and my mom and dad. And, you know, again, you don't want to miss anybody, but your immediate family. Um, I'd had a lot of coaches tell me that they missed their family's lives because of coaching. Um, Chuck Randall was one of them. And I don't know if that was true or not, but he had said he, he, he regrets his um, intensity he put towards his job and, and kind of neglected his family a bunch. And I'm not, he was a great dad. I don't mean it like that, but I had a lot of coaches tell me, so I put a lot of effort into, I work hard and I 
you can say play hard, but I have family hard. Um, you know, when I'm not coaching, we're going to Cheyenne. When I'm not coaching, we're going to go on a trip. When we're not coaching, we're going to go to the movies. I'm going to do some long talk in the car with my kids. It's, they'll laugh if they're listening to this because you, you trap them in the car and you, you talk to them about life. Um, but yeah, you know, and Christy is an amazing woman, um, very gifted, um, great, great leader, tremendous gift to kids you know, across the country because she's doing some national stuff, but really locally. Um, so I couldn't ask for a better wife there. And then the kids are, you know, they're journeying. So they're, they're tremendous and phenomenal. So I just, yeah, that's my focus is family, you know, family first. Work hard, family hard. Sounds like a t-shirt that we need to make sometime. I know it. Right. And All that's right. kind of why our theme is with our team though, Jeff, is when I say family, because I do look at our team as an extension of my family. So um, hopefully they feel that. I'm sure they do. But now uh, one of my favorite parts of this podcast, I'm going to ask you some hard hitting questions here. And uh, mm. some of these we can go a couple different ways with. We can add some, we can take some away, but uh, if you don't want to answer, it's all good. But Oh, I'm an open book, man. I, I, I knock on your door sometimes and I, I hear some R&B music coming out of that office, Tony. So I got to ask you, <laughs> who is your favorite R&B artist? You know, I don't know what the words they're singing and I don't know what they're talking about, but I sure like the beats, but I like all kinds of music. So I'm going from Jack Johnson all the way to Neo, all the way to Babyface to, you know, Heavy D and the Boys. I mean, shoot, there's so many. Um, I just enjoy good, good, good music. It's too bad. Some of the lyrics are crazy, but I just look past that. All right. Uh, you may have already answered this. Uh, you may have already said it in your talk, but best Washington getaway city if you're going for a short vacation. Cheyenne, Washington. If we go there every summer, when the rules in, in recruiting were different, um, I'd be gone for the entire month of July and the family would either go to California with me or they'd go to Cheyenne for a month. So yeah, Cheyenne's our spot. Awesome. So yeah, what is your go-to restaurant on the road or at home in Bellingham or... Just wherever you get a meal that you just have to have. Yeah. So if you saw the way I looked the last couple of years, I've gained a little weight. Actually, I just lost it this COVID. So I gained 25 pounds going to in and out Dick's and Anthony's. Um, so now uh, I'm not going frequenting those places as often and I'm walking and, and eating better. So I'm, I've lost those 25 pounds, but yes, those are the go-tos. You mentioned walking and I've seen you walk in the neighborhood up on the ridge on the hill and, uh, I know you have a hike, but we, we've talked about the mountain lion scare in town. Oh, wow. Now, oh. here's the deal. There's a new video out. Have you seen the new video of in, the Utah? Mountain, in Utah? Have you seen that? Yeah. 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 So I think of you every time I see a mountain lion and I'm thinking like, what would Tony do? All right, Tony, got to ask you, least favorite household chore? <laughs> Weeding. Is that household? Yeah, weeding's the worst, but sometimes it has the biggest impact, if you know what I mean, you know? I'm going to have to hire somebody, my kid or somebody. Yeah. Got I've been doing a lot of house projects. Go ahead. I know. You still play hoops. Noonball at Western is heated rivalry, I've heard. Uh, who's your best uh, Noonball shooter that you've been around? You can say yourself as well. Well, Jeff, I'm an incredible player, and I've actually, now that I've gotten back in shape, I think that I might make a run again for the G League. It will start with the G League. <laughs> um, so I would have to put myself in that category since my heart condition forced me to be a, a noon ball legend. However, we will, for the sake of 
of love and admiration, some more words, they're the same words I've been using. We'll go Butch Kamina as an all-time shooter in Carver Gym. He wore his Steve Nash shirt with pride for many years. He might have you know, gotten too small for him these days, but he's able to shoot it really, really well. Yeah, Butch, Butch, Butch was on the podcast last week. We did mention that there's times when he gets in the zone and he lives in that zone, he loves it. So he I can hit it. two or three, no doubt. <laughs> All right. In a normal year, 2020 is not normal, but uh, you're a big movie guy. How many movies would you go see in a theater in a year on a normal year? Well, I'd watch a lot of movies outside of the theater. The, the cost would always deter me. But when you want to de-stress, I would go, I don't know, you'd say 10 maybe a year, but that's maybe high because of the job. Um, maybe on the road when you get in a, a night early before you tr- recruit or something. But yeah, so. But as of lately, I, I well, obviously zero, but before COVID, I started to enjoy the theater more and more. Now Do you have a favorite movie of all time? There's so many because I'm a movie guy, but let's go Bagger Vance for the symbolism of it. If you've seen Bagger Vance, yeah. um, I really enjoy the uh, inferences they're making in that movie. I love it. Favorite NBA player, past or present? Well, Jordan, Michael, you know, I mean, I, you know, LeBron, but he's not in the same mold, although he is going to tell you he is. Um, Jordan never told you he was the goat, so I'm gonna have to go with Jordan. Did you watch The Last Dance? <laughs> Three times. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it's also part of the leadership stuff because I love just taking out. You, you, they make little comments here and there that you can show to your kids, and uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Great. And uh, last question: You follow uh, sports of all kinds, but what's your favorite sport outside of basketball? Football. Football. You know, if I didn't. I didn't have the heart deal. I would have continued to play football as well. Yeah, I love football. I love hitting and you know, didn't like getting hit, but I, you know, actually, but I just love the intensity of the sport. And, uh, you know. Cascade High School, what position did you play? Receiver and quarterback. We had a, a Western Viking, uh, Joe Ennis, ended up, and I kind of saw the writing there. So I was going towards the receiver. But, um, yeah, every time I, because I had a good arm in the day. And so every time I went to go throw as a receiver, even with the quarterbacks, they'd say, oh, no, you need to be the quarterback. And I was like, no, oh. because I like, you know, running by past dudes. Awesome. So being a PB and a, a receiver, yeah. That's something you learned. I had no idea you were a football guy, so that's great. And you have a favorite football team that you like watching on Sundays every once in a while? You know, the team out of Seattle is fun. Um, <laughs> you know, the Seahawks is, is an enjoyable team to watch. They've got a pretty and, good quarterback, I hear. You know, he's solid. Um, but no, he's good. I actually, speaking of that, it's fun watching Pete Carroll in his element with the Hawks. Obviously, it's a great testament to not every place is a great place for great coaches. But, um, you know, I don't know that New England was a good place for him. Um, but it's fun. His energy and the way he cares about his players is something to gravitate towards. Awesome. Well, Tony, man, we this was awesome. It was great to learn some stuff about you and hear about the Vikings from so many different spots that we don't get to normally hear from and some stories. And uh, yeah, it was just a, a really great to talk about Western basketball for about an hour. So thanks for joining us. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're gonna have to do episode two, because like you said, you're going to, you're going to get some people texting you saying you didn't mention my name. And I look forward to the next time that we get a chat on Viking voices. Yeah. Appreciate it, Jeff. A ton. All right. Go Vikings. Go Vikings. <laughs>